I didn't even cognizantly really know that I was creating a mini network, sure. but I did, right? When you've got five shows that are aimed at pregnancy and parenting, where you kind of, you start with one show and then you graduate from that and you go to the next and you go to the next, depending on what interests you, you have a little network there. Hello, you're listening to Podcast Growth Hacks, where I talk to podcasters of all experience levels to unpack the most powerful growth tactics they used to grow their podcast. I'm Pat Chung. And if you're a podcaster, well then subscribe so that together we can all learn and experiment with how to grow our own podcasts. Today, we're chatting with Sunny Galt, the founder and CEO of Independent Podcast Network. She's also on the leadership team of the Podcast Network Alliance. On top of all that, she currently hosts several podcasts, three of which has well over 300 episodes. And of course, she also runs her own podcast network, New Mommy Media. I was first introduced to Sunny because I was trying to learn more about podcast networks, and someone told me, you gotta meet Sunny. So I want to have her on the show and take a deep dive into podcast networks, understand more about joining one, and even learn a bit about what it takes to maybe create one. Welcome to the show, Sunny. Thanks for being here. Oh, this is a pleasure of mine. Thanks, Pat. Awesome. Well, today we want to take a deep dive into podcast networks, as I mentioned, and all the work you do around networks. But before we dive into all that, we always try to invite guests who host their own podcast. So let's start there. Tell us about your shows. Yeah. Okay. So... I am one of those people that I launch shows. Sometimes they last, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they don't. And I'm okay with that because I coach podcasters, right? And so mm -hmm. I like to know what does work and what doesn't work. So I think over the course of the last 17 years that I've been podcasting, which sounds crazy, but that's true. I think I've probably launched about 10 shows of my own. Now that doesn't count my clients and wow. you know people like that, that I work with. And which ones are still around? I think I maybe have like six of those, maybe seven. That's a lot. <laughs> Some of them are seasonal, right? So it's, you know, I'm not always producing brand new content, but I've had some shows that have completely flopped and I'm okay with that because I got information out of that. So I don't view launching a podcast as something that's like, you know, you got to do for the rest of your life. I'm very practical with that. And sometimes it's just for a season or to learn something and then I move on. And are all these shows shows that you host or that you produce? Um, so a little bit of both, right? So I've got a group of podcasts when I when I first got into podcasts. So let's go way back, okay. way back, okay? Um, I was at a stage of life where my husband and I wanted to start a family. And I didn't have a lot of experience with parenting or pregnancy or any of that kind of stuff, but I had a background in journalism and I knew how to interview people and talk to people. I'd worked at radio and TV stations prior to getting into podcasting. So I thought, oh, well, you know, why don't I just interview people on pregnancy and stuff? I'll learn, you know, um, and maybe I can do this, you know, through podcasting. And so I have five parenting slash pregnancy shows that are still in existence. I'm actually still releasing content for these shows that started um, back in 2012, I think. Now, I don't produce for them all the time, but they've been around for so long that they're generating a decent amount of money, getting advertisers and things like that. So when I talk about the podcast that I do now, 
that's where a good portion of my energy goes into maintaining those shows, re-releasing content, working with advertisers. And then I just launched a podcast a couple months ago called Podcast Your Business, which really focuses in on my, my favorite types of clients to work with who are people whose podcast is connected to their business. I have found that those people usually have a little bit of a budget to work with, right? They can connect it to their business and they're more serious about it. So those are the main podcasts that I focus on now. I've got my parenting shows that I that I still do, even though I'm not exactly in that stage of life anymore. My kids are a little bit older, but they're profitable. So <laughs> still working on them. And then growing, you know, Podcast Your Business, which just launched a couple months ago, which is really more tied into my podcast network, independent podcast network. That's a lot of shows. Do you do podcasts full time? Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. And there's other stuff we could go into, too, that I do that's <laughs> yeah. podcasting related. So I'm like, oh, Pat, that's like a third of the podcast stuff I do. <laughs> um, no, I eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. And the reason yeah. why is because I'm I'm just so passionate about democratizing media. OK, coming up, you know, through the traditional media landscape, I realize how structured things are in, in what I view is not the best and, and healthiest way, right? Everything is filtered through a handful of media companies. You got to do this. You got to say that you've got to look this way, you know, and I just didn't like it. Right. So I'm passionate about helping people share their voice. And I think podcasting is a great way to do it. So yeah, I do it full time. It's my jam. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's a lot of shows. Do you have like a big team around all these separate shows? No, I don't. Most of the time it's me. It's funny. So earlier today, for the first time in what did I say, 17 years of being in podcasting, I am finally bringing on a virtual assistant to help nice. me. Uh, I was just interviewing people earlier today. But no, it's it's pretty much me, which sounds crazy. But in the beginning, like let's just take the parenting shows, for example. I did have other people helping me when we were in, you know, producing like on a regular basis. So all of those shows, there's five of them and each show is a weekly podcast. So I was releasing episodes once every day of the week, at least during the <laughs> mm -hmm. work week. Right now, when I was in that stage, which was really for the first three or four years of producing those shows, then I, I had other people. So I hosted one of the shows, but I would bring other parents on. Not necessarily professional podcast hosts, right? Mm -hmm. That didn't really fit the format of what we were trying to do. But I would bring on other people to host. I still, you know, for years, I did all the editing. For years, I did all of the posting. So I was always the kind of spine or backbone, if you will, for mm -hmm. making a lot of this happen. But I was well aware that people did not want to hear my voice 24 hours a day. So I tried to find like other hosts and people like that to present the content. That's awesome. So in the spirit of podcast growth hacks, what's one of the shows that you're the most proud of being your biggest show? Mm, let's see. I mean, it would have to go back to the parenting shows. Um, mm -hmm. And it's big compared to other shows that I've done. So is it like super duper huge? You know, you hear about the Joe Rogans and stuff like that. Sure. No, I don't do anything that is in the vicinity of what Joe Rogan okay. does yeah, or Ben Shapiro or any of those people, right? Okay. But for me, at one point, our pregnancy show was up to 50,000 downloads a month. Um, that was pre-COVID. Yeah. Okay. Pre <laughs> I need to specify that because <laughs> there's a story behind that. But I was, for me, that was, I was like, oh, wow. How did that, what? How did that happen? Yeah. And let me tell you, Pat, that was six or seven years into producing that show. So it continually grew, which was great. 
but I have to admit, I, I'm not one of those people. I don't constantly check my download numbers Sure. for me. That is like torture. I should look at stats a little bit more than I do, but I'm usually so busy. I don't really have a lot of time to focus in on that unless an advertiser is like, Hey, what's going on with your stats nowadays? I'm like, Oh crap. Yeah. I got to go back (laughs) and see what my, see what my numbers are. But yeah, that pregnancy show when we had 50,000, I was like, what? You know, that's amazing. And what do you think you did, uh, to kind of get you there? Um, I think for us, it certainly didn't happen overnight. Like I said, I was six or so years into doing that show. Um, when I at least noticed <laughs> that we were at 50,000. By the you way, know, I think it's six to seven years into all three of your parenting shows, right? I noticed you started all those around 2012. So 2012, I launched the first three and then I added two more like in the coming <laughs> right. like year or two because I was still having babies, right? I, I mean, those shows really helped me because I was still getting pregnant. <laughs> I was still having babies. And so I was the demographic, that right. I was going after. By the so, way, amazing that you had babies and had time to podcast. Oh, Pat, I have pictures of me nursing my children while being on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. I so believe I was covered up, just you know, for all of you out there, I was covered up and stuff. But like, <laughs> you know, moms are the great multitaskers, right? We gotta, we do what we gotta do, and it made sense because that may that may not have made sense for like a financial show, but I was talking about breastfeeding at the time. So right. I'm like, I even breastfed twins during a recording once. So because I've got twin girls. So I was I was my audience and I just kind of made it work with what I had to do. Right. So you did it for a long time. Uh, yeah. That's how you got this volume of shows. And I'm guessing it kind of just organically grew. Was there anything that you did tactically, any kind of marketing tactic that you were like, oh, OK, this kind of unlocked the next level of audience. Yes. So there are some recommendations based on what I did. I'm a big fan of cross promotion between podcasts. Okay. Mm -hmm. Really big fan, especially if you're able to set up some sort of system where you're almost creating your own little mini network, which essentially those parenting shows are. I didn't really even cognizantly really know that I was creating a mini network, (laughs) but I did, right? When you've got five shows that are aimed at pregnancy and parenting where you kind of you start with one show and then you graduate from that and you go to the next and you go to the next, depending on what interests you, you have a little network there. And so one of the things that we did from the very beginning was we cross promoted between all of those shows. So they were all in network shows, if you want to look at it that way. So I wasn't promoting other people's podcasts, but I was cross promoting my own shows. So I would say on the pregnancy show. Hey, you know, you may just be about to have your baby. We've got this show called Newbies, which is focused on moms right after they have their babies and taking care of their babies and also taking care of mom. You know, when you be great to hear a new episode about, you know, those kind of topics every week. If you want, subscribe to Newbies, do it in advance before (laughs) your baby comes because you're not going to have a lot of time once that baby arrives. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say stuff like that um, and I would promote it in the show. So we did a ton of cross promotion and I think that really helped. I don't think you can really do this nowadays because podcasting is a little bit more advanced. But the other thing that I did is because these shows were started in 2012, I actually had some pretty good contacts at some of the big podcast distribution platforms. So like I had an Apple contact and back then I could actually reach out to Apple. And at one time, I don't know if they if they have this anymore, but they had kind of channels, if you will, and they had a parenting channel. 
And I was able to get all five of my shows on that parenting channel. I don't even know if it exists anymore. But what Mm. I have found is that this isn't going to help people that are brand new to podcasting. So apologies. But I found that there are a lot of shows that are popular simply because they were early to the space, right? right? And they had the stats and stuff behind them to keep bumping them up in the algorithms so that people would still find them and recommend them and all of that. So while I am proud of what we've done with the parenting shows, there's a lot of other content out there that is just as good, if not better than my shows. And they're struggling with 100 downloads a month. And I, the only thing that I have to say is that I, I think we were early to the party and was able to benefit from that. Yeah, you're right. In, in startup world, we call that like first mover advantage. You had that advantage of uh, just having yeah. done it for a while. It's funny, I was examining this other podcaster that I love listening to. And his podcast, Growth Hacks, was just basically he wanted to get to the volume of shows that the top tier shows were at. (laughs) So he just did a daily podcast just to get the numbers up. And that really worked for him. Well, and I would agree with that because I was a real stickler in the beginning about every week we're putting out a new episode. And there were times, because you can imagine if you had three to five shows, (laughs) there's going to be stuff that happens, I guess, cancels or whatever. But I mean, I wish I wouldn't have stressed so much about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was a real stickler for every week. There's something that's going to go out. But because there was crossover between the shows, sometimes I could take an episode from one of my shows and not only air it on that show, but a sister show, right? Mm -hmm. So if we did some like some sort of intro to breastfeeding show, we could put that on our podcast that's specifically about breastfeeding and milk sharing and things like that and pumping. But then maybe that would also apply to, you know, the audience of moms that just had their babies as well. So I was able to kind of swap episodes Mm, when I got uh to a point where I just knew that a new episode was not going to get out. But that falls (laughs) in line with cross-promotion as well. That was its own way of cross-promoting. But for me, it was about every week we're going to put out something. (laughs) And uh, I did stress myself out about that. I wish I I wouldn't have done that. But that could have. It's all about algorithms, right? So you're putting out new content, people are listening, and then they, it's like little bots know that you're serious about podcasting and reward you for that. Yeah. No, I love how you accidentally kind of stumbled on that hack (laughs) of, it sounds like you were doing these episode swaps before other people were doing it just to fill up that content. I had to. I was like, we got to get out an episode somehow. What are we going to (laughs) do? Do you still do episode swaps like that? You know, I haven't done that in a really long time. And at that time, too, all of our podcasts, um, even though there was crossover between, they all had their own separate websites, Mm -hmm. which was a lot to manage. And so when I brought all of the content, that was a couple of years later, I'm like, okay, this I'm not managing five separate websites. This is ridiculous. So I eventually brought it under the name of the production company, which is New Mommy Media. And so newmommymedia.com will now take you to see all of the podcasts. All the podcasts are are listed on that site. And when I did that is when I had a little, I won't call it trouble, but then I was like, oh, shoot, we're going to have multiple episode pages for the exact same episode. So I would, you know, kind of remove it from, you know, the one podcast where it was really just promotional value. And keep it with the show that, you know, is actually an episode for that podcast, right? right? So that's when it kind of tapered off. I didn't really do it as much. Yeah. And I wasn't as concerned because then I got into really re-releasing content. Mm -hmm. Um, And we could talk about that a little bit too, because I know that's sometimes considered faux pas, but it worked out really well for our shows. 
Yeah, maybe we will talk about that. But let's dive into the network portion now that yeah. you kind of talked about new mommy media. Was that kind of your first entryway into the world of networks? It, I mean, yes, for podcasting, because again, I came from radio and TV. So I worked mm -hmm. for radio stations and TV stations that were part of networks. So it wasn't uh, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like I didn't know anything about networks, sure. but how TV and radio treat networks is a little bit different than podcasting. And I didn't even know, I didn't realize, again, kind of fell into it. I didn't realize that I was essentially creating my own little network with New Mommy Media. I really just viewed it as a production company to produce, you know, these podcasts that all have right. kind of a similar demographic. But it wasn't until people started reaching out to me to say, hey, can we be on your network? <laughs> yeah. That I was like, I got a network. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and what was that? Was that when you had three shows or five shows? I had five shows at the time. And I'll never forget. It was a dad focused podcast. And they reached out. I can't remember the name of it now, but they were just getting started. And they're like, hey, we don't really want to do this on our own. Can we join your shows? I'm like, well, no, mm -hmm. I, I produce all these shows. I manage all these shows. Yeah. Like these are my babies outside of my real babies. Some people have fur babies. I have podcast <laughs> babies, right? <laughs> and so- I'm like, it doesn't really make sense for your podcast to join this. But then it got me thinking, oh, there's something to this. Yeah. Like, you know, again, used to being part of networks and radio and TV. And I didn't even, at the time, there really weren't that many podcast networks. We didn't have Wonder. We didn't have Podcast One. Or maybe, mm -hmm. maybe those were in the starting stages, but nobody really heard about them. And so I was like, oh, I could start a network. I, I think I know what to expect. So that's really how I got into it is people saying, can I be part of your network? I'm like, what network? I don't have a network. Maybe I need to have a network. So when was this? What year was this? You started New Mommy Media. So I started it in 2012. That's when the show, the first three shows launched in 2012. Okay. Oh, so um, by, you started the network right away. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have called it a network, more like a production company, right? And then 2015 is when we launched the fifth show. And then, you know, I produced, I don't know, 40 or so episodes of that before we started re-releasing the content. So that's kind of when we kind of stepped out of full-blown production mode and, you know, just started re-releasing the content and working with advertisers and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So did you end up uh, accepting that show as part of the network? <laughs> You, you know, we did kind of initially, but then they decided they were going to quit doing their show. So it didn't last very long. <laughs> but, and, but you know what? We you know what I learned from that is that it's not just about adding people to a network. It's about the community that happens as part of that. Mm -hmm. Podcasting can be a very lonely sport, right? Yeah. And so I learned, oh, it wasn't enough just to kind of bring them on board. We needed to work together more when this kind of comes into cross promotion and some of the other benefits of being part of a network. So that was still a valuable experience, but just, you know, being part of the new mommy media brand or whatever didn't really do much for him. Right. So today, if someone goes to new mommy media, they're going to see all the shows that you own then. They're going to see the five shows that we've been talking about. I've also expanded the blog section of it, and now we support it with video as well. So they'll see a podcast section, a blog section, as well as a video section, because now I'm selling those more as, hey, this is general content for parents in this type of age range or mm -hmm. stage of life. And so, um, yeah, so we, we do different things. It's not just podcasts, but that's still the bread and butter. That's where all of our um, downloads and 
people connecting us really come from. Sure. By the way, I love the idea of the network, especially your new mommy media network, because yeah, it does seem like yeah. you cover the gamut of what it means to be a parent and the different mm -hmm. stages of it. Were you ever anxious about the churn? Like, like kind of people churning out of that stage? Is that kind of why you created separate sort of life stages of a parent? You know, I should have been more concerned with that. In retrospect, I should have been concerned about that. I was not. But the reason that I launched so many shows is because I didn't think I wanted it to be a business. And I didn't think that I could build an entire business off of one podcast. Mm. So I thought, well, if I had more podcasts, okay, that's more content, mm -hmm. you know, um, I thought I could do it from there. So that's that's why we launched with the three shows. And then, and then I just got bit by the podcast bug. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, we'll have another show. And then when I got pregnant with twins, I'm like, well, I got to have a twin show. Yeah, <laughs> right. add another podcast to the mix. No, this is great. <laughs> I feel like there's probably even going to be more coming around. Um, I don't know how old your kids are, but around high school age, oh, exactly. you, you know, it's going to grow. This Where list. it stops, no one knows, right? <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about Independent Podcasters Network. It sounds like you got yeah. the bug um, around networks, too. So you yes. tell, tell us about Independent Podcaster Network, why you started that and when you started that. Yeah. So I mean, there was kind of a little network in between going from New Mommy Media to IPN. Mm -hmm. um, I, I thought, okay, so I have New Mommy Media. And I'm like, that's really more my production company. So I never really treated New Mommy Media you know, as a network. But I thought if I'm going to bring on other podcasts that are kind of that parenting demographic, let's create a new space, a new entity for that. So my middle network between my new mommy media stuff and IPN was uh, called Parents on Demand, um, POD, pod. Mm. Huh? It's a little play on words there. And we focused exclusively on pregnancy and parenting shows. And at one point, I grew the network. I think we had about 50 or so shows on wow. there. Um, I had my podcasts, you know, were my starter shows. So it didn't look like the network was completely <laughs> bare when people first went to the website. Um, but what I did with that was I reached out to people that I thought would be a good fit for the network. Even before I started, I said, I've got plans to start a podcast network that's focused on parents and families. I found your show. I think it might be a good fit for what we're trying to do. If you were to join a network, what would you be looking for? Mm. These are some of the things we're thinking. So in the beginning, it was just feedback, sure. right? And I wanted to see, because these were going to be the exact same shows I was about to pitch. <laughs> so I thought I might as well reach out to them in advance and see you know, what would scare them off or what they would really want. And so I probably talked to 30 different podcasts. Wow. I, I sent, oh, hundreds of emails probably. Hmm. Talked to about 30 people. Of that, maybe 15 people joined initially, hmm. even though all 30 said they would, right? You're <laughs> always going to have some that's people really fall good. off 50%. by the wayside. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's kind of how Parents on Demand launched. And then, like I said, we grew it from whatever that was in the beginning, 15 shows or so, to about 50. Mm -hmm. And then I had more and more people outreach to me saying they wanted to be part of that network, but they didn't have a parenting show. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, man. Uh -huh. And I branded everything to parents. Oh, That's yeah. what we did, right? It was uh -huh. parents on demand. It was like, you know, I couldn't escape the fact that this was a parenting network. Right. But I also didn't want to I didn't want to turn away business. That didn't make sense either. Sure. So I had this brilliant idea at the end of 2019 to rebrand essentially the network so I could accept other podcasts. 
Now it was a good idea, but I had no idea 2020 was going to be what 2020 was. (laughs) So I got like everything, you know, I got all my branding stuff done. I went to PodFest right before the 2020, right before the shutdown. And I took out a page like advertising at PodFest to promote the network and some of the things we were working on. I had bag inserts. This is going to be my big, like Sunny's network is now revealed to the world, Uh right? And then everything shut down. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? Like, what is going to happen to podcasting? You know, a couple things could happen. It could go through the roof because people are stuck at home, right? Or maybe it's going to be a frivolous thing and people are just worried about surviving and they're not going to give podcasting a chance right, <laughs> right now, right. right? And so I was really just kind of waiting to see what the market did. And in that time, I would get referrals from people that were already on the network. So once I rebranded and everything, I invited the podcasts that were part of Parents on Demand over to IPN. Mm, mm-hmm. Most of them came over. Some of them wanted to do their own thing, which is fine. So I already had, you know, I would say 35 to 40 shows on IPN, but they were all parenting shows, which looks <laughs> right. a little weird, right? Yeah. So I was eager. I wanted to grow that. I wanted to expand that. And then again, 2020 was what 2020 was. And I didn't push it as much. I had plenty of other projects that I was working on and and things like that. So the network didn't like jet and take off the way I originally was hoping it would. But what it did do is it had referrals still coming in, right? So the people that were on the network would refer other people. I have a great relationship with our podcast host provider that we typically recommend. So they were sending me people. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't a good fit for them to go directly to the podcast host provider, we could get them in and get them discounts and stuff like that. So it made more sense. So it was just a very slow crawl in the beginning. And I was okay with that because again, I didn't want to put so much effort into something until I knew where podcasting was was going, right? So let's uh, rewind back a little bit what you said earlier about learning from the the first podcast that wanted to join your network. It seems like you did a lot of research and you got a lot of feedback of what they were looking for in a network. So what were they looking for? Mm -hmm. What were some of those learnings? Um, they didn't want someone to come in and, and take over their show, right? Mm. They It was their show. They wanted to maintain ownership of it. They wanted someone to come along and support them. They wanted the community aspect of it all. They wanted us to benefit from having the tools that a group could have together that they, maybe they couldn't afford on their own, right? Because there's, there's a lot of really cool podcasting tools that technically are available to everyone. But if one podcaster were to go around and subscribe to everything, There's no way they'd make any money with their show, Mm -hmm. right? So is there a way that we could, you know, in a a sense that's appropriate, share tools? Is there, you know, do these different sites have a network plan, right, where there's multiple seats that would make sense if we shared stuff? So I felt like it was more of a kind of a collaborative, like there's strength in numbers kind of thing. Right. Um, and that's, that's what we ended up doing. So almost like a co-op of sorts. It's interesting that you went from POD to independent podcasters network. Cause I would have thought there'd be some power in having sort of a niche network like parenting. Cause if you're going out to sponsors, were, were you helping these podcasters get sponsors at all? At that point, not really, because we're talking about 2016 ish. Okay. A little early. Um, So it was still, I mean, obviously there was advertising around, right? But it's not like it is today. And what I also found pretty quickly is that at that time, it was difficult to sell a whole group of shows to advertisers. They still kind of wanted to cherry pick what shows they wanted to be on, right? 
And and that has evolved. It's taken some time, but mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff has evolved. So no, in the beginning, it was more about like we had an app. It was more um, consumer focused, right? right? I was trying to make it easier because again, knowing what parents go through and the fact that they all need content and all this kind of, I was trying to make it easy for people to consume content, right? So the Parents on Demand Network had its own app. So I was trying to appeal to the parents as opposed to appealing to the podcasters. Now, when I made the switch from Parents on Demand to Independent Podcast Network, then it became solely about the podcasters. So I'm not trying to outreach to consumers at all with Independent Podcast Network. It is about helping the podcasters grow their shows, monetize, and like keep their sanity, basically. I see. So uh, for IPN, it's not about distribution yeah. at all. It's not. Mm-mm. Okay. So let's talk about IPN a little bit. So when yeah. when does a podcaster think about joining a network and what's the benefits around it? Yeah. So every podcast network is a little bit different. So earlier you mentioned that I run a group called the Podcast Network Alliance, PNA. Mm-hmm. I'm all about like three letter things apparently, <laughs> right? You know? So PNA, like Podcast Network Alliance, is a group of podcast networks. They're small to medium sized podcast networks. We're not talking about the super big groups that have like 50,000 people working for them. They don't really need an alliance like what we're providing. We're talking about the people that... um I mean, they may have some VC funding or whatever, but a lot of times they're bootstrapping it. They're trying to figure out things on their own. They're just really passionate about podcasting. And it may be more of a co-op kind of thing, right? Where people are coming together, a consortium. There's different names for it now. It, it reminds me of the early day, really early days of podcasting where it wasn't as much about the money and it was just this really tight knit group, more like a community, right? So we have that going on now for podcast networks and people that run podcast networks. I just came back from Podcast Movement last week, and you would be amazed at how many people I ran into that either just started a podcast network. They're just like you and me, no VC funding, Mm -hmm. no anything like that. They just are like, hey, this makes sense for us to do stuff together. Why are we all doing this separately? Yeah, That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It's just, it's common sense, right? Yeah. I'm seeing networks pop up all over the place. And most of them are niche. Most of them are. But one of the the shows in our group is all about horses. And so every show on their network is about horses. And you can create <laughs> wow. an entire podcast network focused on that. We have another one that's just legal shows, yeah. right? Makes sense. Um, and so you can do that really easily and kind of grow it that way. But yeah, I... Uh, so I'd love to talk th- th- about maybe the possibility of starting a network. I've even kind of okay. dabbled with uh, the idea of that. But first, for the podcaster, what do they get out of it? I know that you're kind of just saying they're all a little bit different. They all run a little bit differently. But being kind of at the epicenter of all this network activity, what are some patterns you're seeing? What's like mm-hmm. some general benefits that a podcaster would get? Yeah. So I think the benefit um, for pretty much any network is the exposure that your show is going to get. Now, there's different ways to do that. If you're with a larger podcast network, they may just throw money at your show. Mm -hmm. They may have the VC funding to be able to just, you know, throw money at it. For most podcast networks, the smaller ones, the more niche ones, it's not going to be about that. It's going to be more about cross-promotion between the other and facilitating that, Mm -hmm. right, between the other shows on the network. Um, there may be, you know, some things like, you know, if they do have an app, maybe they're promoting the app and the app has all the shows on it. I mean, there's different ways to do that. Um, for a while there, we had 
uh, channels, so to speak, on like Apple Podcasts and CastBox and a couple other different places where if you found one show, it would recommend other shows on the network, right? And we had like a whole page that promoted the network. So there's some different things that you can do to, you know, promote each other if you're all part of a central group plus just, you know, the cross promotion. So I think that's the first thing that that people think of is getting more exposure for your show. And, and then there's different ways to do that. The other side of it is monetization. Mm-hmm. And there are some podcast networks out there that will just fund your show. But if they're going to do that, first of all, you're going to have to prove a lot to them. You're probably going to you know, have to already be some sort of name or, you know what I mean? Celebrity-ish kind of status or something like that in order for them to to take a chance to do that. Um, But if they do give you money, they're probably going to own something, right? Maybe not most of your show. Maybe you still own the majority of your show, but you do lose some stuff with that. There's a couple of networks that are part of the Podcast Network Alliance that do more of a revenue share, Mm -hmm. right? We do that with IPN. When we help shows want to be part of our advertising program, whatever we get paid is just, it's 10%, right, of whatever comes in. So there's different ways to to make that work. But in theory, the more shows that you have, the more opportunities you're going to have for advertisers to pitch you. Because from the advertiser's perspective, it could be a lot of work for them to go from podcast to podcast and treat it all individually, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it's it's worth it, but a lot of times there's a lot of emailing back and forth and, you know, there, there's just a lot that needs to right. happen. But if instead you can go to a whole network and say, hey, this is our advertiser, you've got a whole group of shows that are focused on XYZ, can we work with all of these shows? Then that's appealing. So we can usually get better opportunities like that. So that would be the second one. I think growth and the monetization are the two big reasons that people join networks. So for IPN, do you let advertisers buy ads across a group of shows or specific podcasts? So we're trying to do something a little bit differently. As I mentioned earlier, I'm all about testing things in podcasting. What works, what doesn't work. And if it doesn't work now, maybe it'll work a year from now. So I'll just like tuck that in my back pocket, right? It's taken several years for advertisers to feel more comfortable with purchasing ad space on a whole network, if Mm -hmm. you will, or vertical, some sort of vertical, right? So where the content is similar, but you're not just cherry picking the shows. So I've had to kind of adjust based on where the market was at the time. I wanted to do that way back with Parents on Demand. The space was not there. They were not having it. They were just doing one-on-one podcasts. So I had to kind of wait, right? And we're at a place now where we can start to do that. But there's still a lot of things that kind of have to be figured out. Because as I mentioned, it can be difficult for the advertiser If they've got, you know, it's not that they don't want to advertise on small podcasts. It's just that, is that the best return on their time, right? right? If they're, if they're only going to get, and and by only, I know this is a lot for a lot of people, but in advertising terms, if a show is only going to give you a thousand downloads a month, is that worth creating the promo code, going back and forth, email over email, trying to figure out the dates and paying the person and all of that. So you've got to look at it from their perspective as well. Mm. And so the networks can be a nice middleman for this, where where instead of just selling individual shows, we can add up the downloads for everyone that's part of that vertical and say, hey, advertiser, baby advertiser over there, I've got 30, 50, whatever podcasts that are exactly the demographic you're going after. Instead of having to go to each of those podcasters and work something out, why don't you just work with us? 
And then, but there's some things that have to be figured out in that whole process. And that's what we're doing now, because for example, not all the shows may be set up for dynamic ad insertion. Maybe right. some people are doing host reads. Mm-hmm. And so you got to figure that out. And then how much are, are they going to be paid for that? Podcasters may have difference of opinion of they may not like what industry standard is now to pay them to do that ad. So right. there's still some things that have to be figured out, but we're testing it now. And we're testing it now with the, the pregnancy and parenting space. And then once we feel like we've got a, a good handle on that, which we've been testing now for about six months, then we'll move it to other genres. But that's the idea. Is right. I always look at this from the perspective of how can I make it easier for small to medium-sized podcasts to be successful, right? Right. right. Um, a lot of them are doing this in addition to their main job. This is not their full-time gig. And so they don't have time to figure all this stuff out. If we can take the burden off of it, you know, off of it for them so that they can do these kind of ads and participate in these kind of campaigns um, and make some money. Then they podcast for a longer period of time, which I think is a good thing because I think we need to have more voices out there. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, I listen to a lot of these smaller podcasts and I'm always wondering, why don't they have ads? And I mean, Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head that to get an ad, it takes a lot of work. You know, you have to, you know, find the sponsor, sell them the contract to sign the contract. It sounds like that's what you're doing now with IPN. You're our sponsors buying across a lot of the shows. Oops. I'm sorry, I goofed. Halfway through the interview, the audio recording completely froze and the entire second half of the interview was a garbled mess. Thanks a lot, Zoom. It's one of these audio glitch stories you always think happens to other people, but nope, apparently it eventually gets you. So instead of asking Sunny to redo the entire second half of the interview, I figured I'd just summarize the rest of our conversation. So here we go. So I continue to ask Sunny if they help the podcast on their network gets what's called direct placements. That's when a sponsor wants to work directly with just one specific show. And she said that's not really the core to their offering as a network. In those cases of direct placement, they typically just connect the advertiser directly to the show. What they're leaning into at Independent Podcast Network is grouping the shows by genre and selling that group of shows and their consolidated download numbers to hyper-targeted advertisers. She sees this as a win-win-win scenario, where the advertiser gets ad placements on a group of shows with a very targeted audience, which results in great ROI because they're reaching an audience that's directly related to their product. The show also gets a win because the network normally finds advertisers of products that the host really believes in, making the ad reads a little bit more authentic. And the final win, the ad is more relevant to the podcast listener since they're going after hyper-targeted advertisers consistent with that show and what the audience cares about. So you can imagine, if you have a group of shows around the, let's say, parenting genre, it makes it much easier for the network to find advertisers with products targeting parents. It's just a lot more compelling for everyone involved, including the network, the advertiser, the podcast shows, and the listeners. These are the types of sponsorship deals that Independent Podcast Network tries to look for. Then I asked Sunny if the main goal of IPN is to help podcasters get sponsorships, well then, do they have a minimum qualification for joining the network? Like, 
minimum download count? Well, she answered, not necessarily. At IPN, they actually have two membership levels of their network, a free level and a paid level that starts at $50 a month. For either membership, the only qualification they really have is that applicants are committed to their show. For those committed, they want to work with those shows, give them resources to help them grow. And if they're committed to growth, they might consider participating in their advertiser programs later down the line. But according to Sunny, it's totally up to the podcaster. And they totally welcome podcasters to just stay in their free plan if they want, where they get access to community, resources, and cross-promotion opportunities with other shows on their network. For their paid plan, however, it's designed more for shows interested in monetizing through their ad revenue program. There's a cost associated based on number of downloads for the show because podcasts in this program get access to some of their premium podcast tools like Megaphone for podcast hosting and advanced analytics through PodSites. And of course, the reason why they need these premium tools is that podcasts that are on their ad network needs all that ad serving and analytics technology. We then went on to chat about Podcast Network Alliance, which is a collective formed by about 15 or so small to medium podcast networks, mainly as a way to share resources and knowledge. If you already own a podcast network or are curious about starting your own podcast network, well, then go check them out at podcastnetworkalliance.com. And that link will be in our show notes. And that's about it. We, of course, wrapped up with our final five questions where... For question number one, Sunny answered, she does collect listener emails. With her brand new show, Podcast Your Business, where she gives away a free downloadable gift as her lead magnet. For question number two, the last show she recommended was to a friend. The show is called Fading Memories, which is coincidentally a show that's on her own network. Well done, Sunny. And question number three, how long does it take to produce an episode well, she usually takes less than an hour and a half to produce each episode on her many podcasts. So that's blazing fast. Can't wait to catch up to her speed. And question number four, her favorite podcast tool is currently Podchaser Pro, which she uses to filter and find shows to bring onto their network. If you know about Podchaser, they actually have a pro version too, where you could, for a paid account, search across their database of shows. Finally, question number five, the call to action of her newest podcast, Podcast Your Business, is to download that free gift. And you can find that sign-up form on the independentpodcast.network website. Once again, that's independentpodcast.network. So that's it, folks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go check out independentpodcast.network. Scroll to the bottom and punch in your email to get that free gift. Thanks for being on the show, Sunny. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to Podcast Growth Hacks. If you like the show, please tell a fellow podcaster about it. This really does help keep our show going. And if you have a podcast growth question that you're kind of curious about, well, I'd love to hear from you. You can leave me an audio message by going to podinbox.com slash podcast. Once again, that's podinbox.com slash podcast. I'll include that link in my show notes. I personally respond to all questions I receive there. 
And once I get your question, I'll find the podcasting expert to answer it on an upcoming episode. We'll play your question and I'll even give you a shout out. Until the next episode, keep creating and keep growing your show.